You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. We've been looking these Sunday evenings at some of the women of the Old Testament. A visitor asked me last Sunday evening after the service, Pastor, have you found any good women yet in the Old Testament? Well, of course, there are many of them. But we're sort of working our way through chronologically. And tonight I want to talk about the woman who lost her song. The gift of song is certainly a marvelous gift. Some of us don't have... uh, voices as other people do. We're grateful for that, vo- for that verse that says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Someday we'll be able to sing in glory with perfect pitch and perfect harmony, and the music will match the words perfectly. And Until that time, we try to sing with grace in our hearts, led by the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. There's a dear woman in the Bible who played such an important part in God's plan of redemption, and yet she lost her song, and she got into trouble, and her family got into trouble, and, well, the nation got into trouble. I'm talking, of course, about Miriam. Now, Miriam is named with Moses and Aaron. In fact, in the book of Micah, the last place you'd expect to find something about Miriam, but in the book of Micah, Chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, whom God sent to deliver his people. And so there was a team there, Moses the prophet and the lawgiver and the great administrator and Aaron the priest and Miriam the prophetess. She's called a prophetess. And Aaron and um, Miriam were older than Moses She was Moses' big sister. I would imagine she was, well, perhaps uh, eight to ten years older than he. And she had a marvelous privilege of sharing in this great ministry, and then it all fell apart. Now, the best way for us to look at Miriam, we can't examine everything in relation to her life. I want to just focus on one area in her life. I want us to watch her tongue that's what, we're going to, that's what we're going to look at, her tongue. Because every time you find Miriam in the Bible, she's using her tongue. That's a woman's privilege. It's a man's privilege, too. It's a great privilege, as I said this morning, to have the privilege of speech. And there are three, um, three scenes in Miriam's life that teach us some very valuable lessons. The first, of course, is in Exodus chapter 2, where you find Miriam the babysitter, and here she is using her tongue to accomplish God's will. Exodus chapter 2, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. Now, that, that took faith, because these two people were slaves. This wasn't the kind of a day where you said, hey, let's get married. 
This was the kind of a day where you looked at each other and said, we wonder, is it God's will for us to get married? Because the king has said, anyone who gives birth to a baby boy, that boy's going to be killed. But God had his hand upon this couple. Never be afraid of doing the will of God. That motto that you so often see, the will of God cannot lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And so these two got married, and the woman conceived and bore a son. Now, she already had a son and a daughter. And when she saw him that he was a beautiful child, a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister, here's Miriam now, his sister stood afar off to see what would be done to him. And all of this is in the hands of God. Have you ever noticed when God wants to get something great done, he sends a baby? He sends the weakest thing he could possibly send. When he wanted to deliver Israel from Egypt, he sent a baby, Moses. When he wanted to deliver Israel from idolatry, he sent a baby, Samuel. When he wanted to bring the kingdom the way it ought to be, he sent a baby, David. When he wanted to redeem the world, he sent a baby, the Lord Jesus. And the baby is born, and the baby is put into the ark, and the ark is put into the water. What's going to happen? Well, you know what happens. One of the greatest stories in the Bible. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. This is the ceremonial washing. And her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when they saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. What Moses later on could not do with his sword, he did with his tears. Here is the weakest thing in the world, a baby. And here is a baby doing the weakest thing a baby can do, cry. And it's the strongest thing he can do. When a baby begins to cry, hearts are broken and people are concerned. And God just touched that baby. There's, there's a curse on my family. Whenever I get into an airplane to fly anywhere, there are always two or three crying babies on the plane. It's something I have to live with. I usually have books I have to read, and, and I don't know what they have to cry about. I never could figure out what a baby has to cry about. doesn't owe anybody anything. doesn't know the mess the United Nations is in. hasn't a clue as to the problems of the presidency. And yet it's crying as though its heart would break. And here's the baby Moses crying. And she had compassion on him. What a beautiful thing God does here. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And at this point, Miriam opens her mouth. Now, you can see from the very beginning the kind of a girl she is. She's the takeover kind of a person. She's not the spectator kind. She's the takeover kind. And she, the Lord said to Miriam, you go up there and say this. And she did. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for thee? It's a marvelous statement. She's assuming that the princess wants the baby. 
She doesn't go up and say, look, that's my brother. She doesn't go up and say, hey, you ought to keep that baby. Someday he's going to wreck your country. <laughs> oh, she knew how to use her tongue. I have been restudying James chapter 3. And in James chapter 3, you know, it's, it's all about the tongue. It starts out, don't too many of you try to become teachers because uh, we teachers have the most judgment, the greater judgment. If you can control your tongue, you can control the whole body. And then he gives six pictures of the tongue. He starts off with a bit and a bridle and then a rudder. He says, behold, you can, you can guide the horse with a little bit. Here's this great animal. And what does the man do? He puts a bit in his mouth. And he can control the whole horse with a bit. Or here's a huge ship. And what guides that ship? A little rudder. Is the rudder as big as the ship? Oh, no. Is the bit as big as the horse? Oh, no. No, the tongue is just a little thing. But your tongue has the power to direct like a bit and like a rudder. What we say directs people's lives. And Miriam said, shall I go get a Hebrew mother to nurse the baby? And you know what she did? She went and got Moses' mother. Here is the kind of a girl with a mind like a computer. She sizes up a situation. She comes to a conclusion, and she does the right thing. Now, had she not done this, Moses would have been raised as an Egyptian. As it was, Moses' own mother, protected by the law, was enabled to raise her own son when the other Hebrew women had to kill their sons. And she raised him to love Jehovah God. And oh, what a difference it made. I wonder what would have happened had Miriam not been there. You said, well, the Lord takes care of things. Yes, he does. But the same God who ordains the end ordains the means to the end. You ever do any babysitting? Next time you're babysitting, my friend, uh, remember, you may be protecting the next great evangelist or the next great missionary or the next great teacher or the next great author. You don't know. You don't know. I read about, a pro, about a, um, an instructor over in Scotland, and when his pupils came into the class to sit down, he always saluted them. And someone said to him, why do you salute your pupils? They ought to salute you. Oh, he says, I don't know what they're going to become, and I want to honor them now. Miriam, accomplishing God's will, she speaks and things happen. That's a marvelous thing. I think of Edward Kimball, who walked into the back of a Boston shoe store, and he opened his mouth, and D.L. Moody got saved, the power to direct. I think of a young man over in England who mailed a letter. He was going to apply to a law firm to train to be a lawyer. And his Sunday school teacher said to him, I had always thought you would go into the ministry. And so he reconsidered and did go into the ministry. And that gave to us John Henry Jowett, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known. I think of Spurgeon. When Spurgeon was just a young man, he was turning the place upside down, and someone said, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, you ought to get some training. You ought to go to college. And so they arranged for him to meet the great Dr. Angus, who was the head of a very fine college. 
But the servant girl did something with her tongue. She put Mr. Spurgeon in one room, and she put Dr. Angus in the other room, and they never saw each other. And after they'd been waiting for quite some time, Dr. Angus got a little bit impatient, and he left. And Spurgeon said, where's Dr. Angus? Oh, he's been in the other room. I'm so sorry. And as Spurgeon walked home, God said to him, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Now, Spurgeon was not against education because he started his own college, and you can today visit Spurgeon's College in London. But that wasn't the will of God. Because of someone's tongue, lives were directed. Miriam accomplishing God's will with her tongue. Well, we turn to Exodus 15 now, and you know this passage well. Here's the second scene in Miriam's life. And in this case, she is praising God's work. In Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14, God delivers the Jewish people from the land of Egypt. 400 years of slavery are broken, and they're delivered. Look at verse 31 of Exodus 14. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spoke saying, I will sing unto the Lord. Do you ever sing unto the Lord? I hope you do. I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And here's that great theme that you find all the way through the Old Testament. Take your cross-references and trace this. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. And they're singing the praises of God. This is an interesting song because you find over in verse 20 that there were a couple of choirs. The men were singing and the women were singing. Verse 20, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel, tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. This is not ballroom dancing. This is dancing before the Lord in praise and rejoicing. And Miriam answered them. We had antiphonal singing. The men would sing, and then the women would sing, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. Here's the first choir director in the Bible. My friend Vernon McGee said to me one day, you know, when Satan fell, he landed in the choir loft. And I said, well, I don't agree with that. There's some places where that's been the war department, but I don't agree with that. But Satan does hate music. Satan does hate praise. I tell you, my friend, if you're praying and your Bible reading won't defeat the devil, start praising the Lord. That'll defeat him. Just praise him. That's what Miriam was doing. And she led the women in praising the Lord. So the first time we meet her, she uses her tongue to accomplish God's will. The second time we meet her, she uses her tongue to praise God's work. They saw the great work which the Lord did. 
And in, throughout this song, it's the Lord, the Lord, not Moses. The Lord. Some 45 times in these verses you find the Lord. You don't really care what I think about modern music because I'm not a musician or an expert, but I'll tell you anyway. I think one of the problems with some of our modern music is it doesn't say enough about the Lord. It says too much about me and what I went through and what I used to be and what I am. Too much of this experience-centered kind of thing. And the first song you find in the Bible, a redemption song, a song of deliverance, a song where the men and the women were singing, is a song that majored on glorifying the Lord. But she lost her song. Oh, what a tragedy. We turn now to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Can I read this chapter to you? It's a sad chapter. I wish it weren't in the Bible. Of all quarrels, family quarrels are the worst. And of all family quarrels, religious family quarrels are the worst. And Numbers chapter 12 is a story about a family quarrel. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a woman of Cush. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even plainly and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb, like a stillborn baby. And Moses cried unto the Lord and said, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. 
And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. Quite a story, isn't it? See, in Exodus chapter 2, we see her using her tongue to accomplish God's will. In Exodus 15, she's using her tongue to um, praise God's work, but here she's using her tongue to criticize God's worker. Now, why did she criticize Moses? You know, when people criticize, there's usually an excuse and then there's a reason. You ever notice that? Somebody criticizes something, but there's always a reason behind the reason. And ostensibly, they were criticizing him because of his wife. Now, Bible students have had a lot of fun with this. Does this mean that Zipporah died, his wife that we already knew about, and he married another woman? The fact that she was a Cushite, does this mean that she was black? Was she of a different race? It's possible that uh, this is talking about Zipporah herself because uh, in the Bible, the uh, word Cushite is equated with Midianite. And Zipporah had not been in the camp with Moses all the time. She came with Jethro, her father. So I kind of get the impression here that sometime before, Moses' wife had arrived in the camp. Up till then, Miriam had been the queen of the camp. Up till then, when the women wanted counsel or guidance, they went to Miriam. But now Zipporah was in the camp. And the women said, well, this is Moses' wife. Let's go see her. And uh, Miriam was losing stature and reputation and influence. In our families, in our churches, in our work, people like to criticize. And they'll always give an excuse. Well, now this is wrong. But that's not the thing they're really talking about. When they really pinned Miriam against the wall and said, what's the problem? She said, the problem is, is Moses the only one who has authority around here? Oh, oh then it's not really his wife. It's the authority she represents. Now, I can think of a lot of reasons why Miriam could get upset with Zipporah. She shouldn't, but I can understand it. Miriam had been the uh, star lady in camp, and now Zipporah comes, competition. Some people can't stand competition. The Bible says, in honor, preferring one another. But we don't always practice that. Zipporah was a Gentile. Miriam was a Jewess rather interesting that Joseph, when he was in exile, got a Gentile bride. Moses, when he was in exile, got a Gentile bride. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was rejected by his people, got himself a Gentile bride, his church. But uh, Miriam could have said, well, she's not Jewish, pride of race. But it wasn't just pride of race. It was pride of place. Miriam wasn't happy at all in giving up some authority. Now, the tragedy of this is that Miriam was not a young kid. She was probably 90 years old. The tragedy is she was not a new believer. She'd been walking with the Lord for many years. 
The tragedy is that she didn't lose anything. Personally, the fact that Moses' wife was there didn't minimize Miriam's authority or ministry one bit. If a ministry comes from the Lord, people can work together. If a ministry comes from men, they compete with one another. One of the tests, whether or not a ministry is really of God, is can people of God work together? She was a leader. People were looking to her for leadership. Then she drags her brother in on it. You know, Aaron, when you read the, the Bible, you find that Aaron was a very weak fellow. He gave in to anybody. Moses was up on the mountaintop. They hadn't seen him for weeks. And the people said to Aaron, we don't know where Moses is. Make us a god. And so Moses gathered the gold together and he made them a golden calf. Remember when Moses came down? It's one of the interesting scenes in the Bible. Moses came down from the mountaintop and he heard the singing and the dancing and he sees this golden calf and he says to his brother, where'd this come from? Remember the crazy answer that Aaron gave? Well, he said, I threw all this metal into the fire and out came this calf. Miriam comes along and says, do you realize, brother, that uh, Moses is taking too much authority? We aren't as important as we used to be. Don't misunderstand me. She was one of the first women libbers in the Bible. She was concerned about her rights as a woman in the camp. And she hadn't lost any rights. She hadn't lost a thing. But look at the sad consequences of this. I don't have to tell you. You've already read it. Moses was hurt. Mine own familiar friend, said the psalmist. It wasn't an enemy who reproached me. I could have taken that. It was my own familiar friend. We broke bread together. We went to the temple together. And he stabbed me in the back. David had that experience. So did Jesus. Maybe you have too. It takes a diamond to cut a diamond. And Moses was hurt. His own brother whom he'd rescued from slavery. His own sister, whom he'd rescued from slavery. Ah, but she could have said, wait a minute, wait a minute there, brother. I'm the one who saved you. Moses was hurt. He was a meek man. Meekness is not weakness. You can never, you can never accuse Moses of being weak. He could, he could exert leadership Meekness is power under control. I think if some of us had been there and they talked to us like that, we would have said, just shut your mouth and I'll run things the way I want to. But Moses didn't. God heard it. God hears criticism. Moses was hurt and Aaron was hurt. Here's the priest, the priest of God who's to teach the people the law. And here he is conspiring in a family quarrel. Miriam was hurt. She became a leper. It used to bother me. Why leprosy? A lot of things could have happened to her. God could have said you're going to be blind for a week or because you used your tongue the wrong way, you won't be able to speak for a week. Why leprosy? Well, Moses hits the nail on the head here when he talks about, uh, uh, when he prayed for her, he said, heal her. Why? Well, because Aaron had said, don't let her flesh become rotten. As you know, leprosy... Uh, leads to uh, nerves being paralyzed. You don't feel. And then infection sets in and you're, you get rotten flesh. 
Then it dawned upon me, there's a verse over in Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 30, that says, envy is as the rottenness of the bones. That's why God gave her leprosy. He said, I want you to look at her. See how rotten she's gotten on the outside? That's the way she is on the inside. She's envious of her sister-in-law. Oh, what a dirty thing envy is. Friends, we don't have to be envious of anybody. Whatever a person is, God gave it to him. A man can receive nothing, said John the Baptist, except it be given him from heaven. Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you brag about it? Nobody can brag about what gifts he has or what abilities he has. God gave them. Never be envious of anybody. God made you the way you are. Never measure yourself by some other person. You'll always end up sinning. If you think that person is greater than you, you'll be envious. If you think you're greater than that person, you'll be proud. Either way, you lose. Miriam was hurt. She became a leper. Isn't it a good thing God doesn't judge us immediately when we criticize? The chief indoor sport of most Christians is criticism. Students criticize their school and members criticize their church and citizens criticize their country. There is a good criticism and a bad criticism. I recall hearing Dr. A.W. Tozer years ago talk about criticism, and he said to us preachers, never be afraid of criticism. If it's right, the person has helped you. If it's wrong, you can help him. I wanted to raise my hand and say, Dr. Tozer, what do you do, though, with a person who doesn't want to be helped? who prefers to run around telling lies and being critical, and whose motive is wrong. The whole camp was hurt. You see what happened? For seven days there was no progress. For seven days the camp had to wait. And people came and said, Moses, why don't we move? How come the, how come the, the cloud hasn't moved? No, got to wait for Miriam. One person's sin held back the progress of the whole camp. Is it possible for one person's sin to hold back the progress of a church? Yes. Is it possible for one person's sin to hold back the progress of a family? Yes. A mission station? Yes. We take these things so very lightly. The whole nation was hurt by the criticism of one woman who lost her song. Now, why did she criticize Moses and Moses' wife? You know why? She got her eyes off the Lord. That's the whole thing. She got her eyes off the Lord. In Exodus chapter 15, she's seeing what God did. She's praising him. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord has become my salvation. Forty-five times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. But then she began to backslide and she lost her song and it ceases to be the Lord and it becomes Miriam, Miriam, Miriam. And then it becomes criticism, criticism, envy, jealousy. What does this teach us? Was Miriam right in saying, God, is Moses the only one who speaks in this camp? Don't we have some authority? Are all men created equal? Yes. Are all men equal? No. Before God, we're all equal. 
God is not impressed with our goodness. God knows our sinfulness. Before God, we're all equal. Before the law, we're all equal. But we all aren't the same. There are people here much smarter than I am. There are people here much stronger than I am. I can't sing. I can't play the organ. I can't fix an automobile. We're not equal. God has made us differently in our gifts. And God has made us differently in our governments. There are some people who are called to lead, and there are some people who are called to follow, and we need both. You heard about the mother who was filling out the application form for her daughter to go to camp. And it said in one of the questions, Is your son or daughter a good leader? And being a very honest woman, she replied, no, but she's an excellent follower. And the camp director wrote back and said, thank you for being so honest. She's the only follower we have coming to camp this season. (laughs) Is it a sin to be a follower? No. In the church, God hasn't made everybody equal. There are those who have gifts of administration. There are those who have gifts of teaching. Should they envy each other? No. There are those who have gifts of ministry. There are those who have gifts of giving. Should they envy each other? No. Miriam should have said, You know, Moses, I thank God that he's called you. I thank God he talks to you face to face. Oh, how many times you've gotten us out of trouble. How many times you've met our needs. Thank you, Moses. I want you to know, Moses, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your wife. I recall when I went to Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, I went to be the assistant pastor, the associate pastor, and in six months the pastor died, had a heart attack. And they called me to be the pastor. You can imagine... Uh, walking into a situation like that where the pastor had been there 35 years and here's a young man coming in and I can never forget it was a rainy morning about a week after I'd been called and I was at the church office and the secretary said so-and-so is there to see you one of the deacons of the church so he came in and he said pastor I don't want to take up your time I just want to tell you something I'm here to help you. If there's anything I can do to help you in your ministry from shining your shoes to washing your car to driving you places, I want you to know I'm there. And you know, for 10 years he was there. Now, I never asked him to shine my shoes. I never asked him to wash my car. But I praised God that he was saying, you have your calling and I have my calling. Let's work together. She didn't have respect for Moses' office. And as a consequence, God had to judge her. There's so much being said about equality these days, we forget that there are some areas where there is no equality. I can never give birth to a baby. Should I weep because I'm not equal? I can never ride in Air Force One. Should I weep because I'm not equal? Each of us has been called to a ministry, and we better respect each other's ministry and respect the authority that God has given in the ministry. The last thing you hear of Miriam is here until she dies. 
chapter or two later, we read that they buried her. She died. I hope that she and Zipporah made up. I hope that when Miriam came back from the leprosy camp after a week, she ran up to Zipporah and said, Oh, dear sister-in-law, forgive me for what I said. Let's sing together. And they got the hymn book out and they sang together. I hope she went up to Moses and said, Dear brother, I'm so sorry. I hope she went to Aaron and said, Brother, I'm sorry I roped you into this mess. Forgive me. I'm sure that after that, Moses and Aaron and Miriam had a greater interest in the lepers. But there's an interesting thing about Miriam. She gave her name, she gave her name to the greatest woman in the New Testament, Mary. Miriam is a corruption, as it were, of, or Mary is a corruption of Miriam. And when God wanted to bring salvation to the world, he got a hold of a girl named Mary. And she didn't watch an ark with a baby in it. She became the ark. And she sang a song, one of the most beautiful hymns ever written in Luke chapter 1. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath looked upon the low estate of his handmaiden. And she sings to the glory of God. I wonder if when Mary sang that song, she thought about Miriam centuries before singing her song of praise. We're going to meet Miriam one day in glory. I have met Miriam and Aaron in various places where I've been. The critic, the person who won't come with the honest reason, he comes with a spiritual excuse. And all you can do is what Moses did. Lord, you heard, you judge, you work. All of us need to have the same kind of a heart that Moses had when he said, Oh, Lord, heal her. I'm afraid some of us would have been prone to say, Oh, Lord, kill her. Meekness always leaves it with the Lord. She lost her song, and she lost so much because she lost her song. So I send you away with this little message tonight. Don't lose your song. If you can't pray, praise. If you can't read the Word of God, praise. If you can't witness, praise. Praise changes things as much as prayer changes things. And the devil hates it when you praise. Keep that song. Keep your eye on the Lord you do that, you won't have much time to be watching other people and finding things to criticize. Heavenly Father, you have given us these tongues and the highest use we can make of them is to praise you. And how marvelous we can speak a few words and direct the lives of people, tell people how to go to heaven. Oh Lord, may we not use our tongues for base purposes. Deliver us from scheming. Deliver us from lying. Deliver us, O oh God, from the kind of self-righteous, carnal criticism that hinders the work of the Lord. Apply the word to our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. 
The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only, not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from Script Text.